Hear me out on this. Just hear me out on this. You need to buy Carlos Hyde as soon as possible. You need to get him before Jimmy Garoppolo becomes the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. This is a very specific bit of advice from the podfather. Trade for Carlos Hyde before your trade deadline, which is likely this week. Most leagues, it's this week. The default trade deadline on most platforms this week. Get Carlos Hyde. I am a Carlos Hyde convert. I did not like the previous incarnations of Carlos Hyde. This incarnation of Carlos Hyde, I very much enjoy. Here's why. Last year, Carlos Hyde posted 2.5 targets per game. 2.5. That's not what you're looking for in a workhorse back. Also, 2.5 red zone carries. Not what you're looking for in your workhorse back. A San Francisco offense led by Blaine Gabbert and Colin Kaepernick is what held Carlos Hyde back. And then with an upgrade in Brian Hoyer, oh, he was unlocked for a time, briefly. 13, 17, 24, 14 fantasy points per game. And then the team turns to C.J. Beathard, and he has two weeks under 10 fantasy points, but then a funny thing happened. A <laughs> funny thing happened. He continues to score more than 20 fantasy points in two of the last four weeks with C.J. Beathard. How does he do that? How? That's amazing. That is the most underreported yet impressive feat by an NFL running back this season. It's more impressive than anything that Kareem Hunt has done. To have three weeks already this year with more than 20 fantasy points operating in the San Francisco offense? I mean, that's a resume-building accomplishment. And yet, no one is talking about Carlos Hyde. Nobody! And the problem with Carlos Hyde last year was a lack of opportunities in high-leverage fantasy point scoring situations, red zone, and passing game. But all along, he was evading tackles. 29.5% juke rate evaded tackles per touch on playerprofiler.com, number 16 in the NFL. And it's above 20 again this year. The juke rate is a sticky stat for Carlos Hyde. And we had Josh Hermsmeyer on the show last week, and he said that an even stickier stat is evaded tackles per game because it factors in opportunity, role, and sure enough, there's Carlos Hyde, 3.8 evaded tackles per game, top 12 in the NFL. The difference is this year, he's number two in targets with 57 total targets, 6.3 per game. He already has 27 red zone touches, which is exceptional, and he's number one in the NFL in the goal line carries. So he's now ringing up fantasy points by scoring in these high leverage situations. And that's what you need to do when you're operating in that doomed San Francisco offense. You have no choice. It's a tall order. Most running backs are not up for the task, but the best ones, the elite backs, will find a way to rise above because their skill set gives them outs. If you're not operating in one of the high-efficiency offenses, you need outs. You need to be a target magnet. You need to be the goal line back. This is what separates the truly elite runners from the rest. And Carlos Hyde is separating himself from the rest by showing off a true all-terrain skill set. And he's so trusted in all phases that he now has outs when things aren't going his way. Negative game script, poor field position. 
a quarterback that can't sustain drives. It's okay. He finds ways to score fantasy points. That's what you want, isn't it? Isn't that exactly what you want in a fantasy football running back? He's the one running back I'm bending my will to try to acquire across all league formats right now. And you can get him because he's not perceived as elite. And yet he is. The advanced metrics indicate he is very much elite. He's not what you think. The brand equity around Carlos Hyde is lagging his true potential. The metrics indicate that he is about to transform. He's a transformer. More than meets the eye. Did Carlos Hyde is more than meets the eye? Unless you have playerprofiler.com in which it's all right there in front of your eyes. All the metrics are flashing like green lights on the Carlos Hyde profile. All despite C.J. Beathard's inability to sustain drives and get the 49ers in scoring situations. Doesn't matter. Carlos Hyde is finding creative ways to score fantasy points. He is a prototypical all-terrain NFL running back, and no one's talking about him. But they will once Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback, because Jimmy Garoppolo has the keys to unlock Carlos Hyde's potential. While he was filling in for Tom Brady, all Jimmy Garoppolo did was post a 68.3 true completion percentage, a 115.6 true passer rating, 9.2 adjusted yards per attempt, a 90 QBR, and a plus 25.5 production premium on playerprofiler.com, which looks at essentially Jimmy Garoppolo's fantasy points scored per attempt above or below expectation. I mean, what more did you need from him? It's a small sample, but it's the sample we got. And it's as impressive as you could ask for. He only had one turnover during that entire time filling in for Tom Brady. It was a fumble. Didn't even throw one interception. So when Jimmy Garoppolo becomes the quarterback, it will lift all boats in that San Francisco Harbor. Not just Carlos Hyde, but whoever the tight end is. It's going to be Garrett Selleck this week. He's an interesting streamer. Be George Kittle later in the season. Marquise Goodwin. Aldrick Robinson. Now Lewis Murphy. Everybody wins once Jimmy Garoppolo takes over. And you might say, well, who can I trade for Carlos Hyde? Well, most fantasy gamers do not have the courage to execute the trade that I'm about to suggest. You just don't have the balls. Trade Kareem Hunt. Like, blasphemy! Kareem Hunt's a league winner. I mean, sure, if you're in a three-week September fantasy league, then yeah. Kareem Hunt is a league winner. September-only league. If you own Kareem Hunt in fantasy football, you're likely 3-0 at the end of September. I mean, congratulations. 3-0. Good job. Good job. Great. But I'm passing a lot of Kareem Hunt teams in a lot of leagues right now. The Kareem Hunt teams were the dog track rabbits. They went out in front, and we gave chase, and we're chasing them down and ripping their heads off. Because since October 1st, Kareem Hunt has been outproduced by Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson and Jarek McKinnon and a lot of other running backs that the Roto Underworld radio listeners roster. And don't blame Andy Reid. Don't blame Alex Smith. Don't blame Sharkandrick West. It's not about usage. Kareem Hunt's usage has been well over 80%. It's not a usage problem. Just because his usage dipped last week does not mean that Kareem Hunt is not being used like a proper bell cow back. His usage is over 80%. Once you reach that 80% opportunity share, you're a bell cow back. It's not a usage problem. The problem is Kansas City's overmatched offensive line. Although 
it is a concern that his snap share fell below 60% for the first time all season last week, and he now has two out of the last four weeks with less than 10 carries. So it's not that the usage is not a problem. Anything less than 90% is suboptimal. The Le'Veon Bell rule, Le'Veon Bell represents that ceiling we're all striving for, but it's less about the opportunity and more about the offensive line constricting those running lanes. Once the schedule ratchets up, no longer facing New England, Philadelphia, L.A. Chargers, start to face some more difficult defenses. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Kareem Hunt is a sell-low candidate. He is. You think, well, you can't sell Kareem Hunt now, not after a bad game. No, 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 no. You sell high, you buy low. No, no, no. Once you see the signs that a player will underperform his brand equity, you sell before the market corrects. Sell while he's still perceived as one of the NFL's signature elite running backs, which he is just not. He's not. He's a rookie back. He's 216 pounds. He's a third-round pick with a 102.7 20th percentile Spark X score. So he's a sub-athlete third-rounder who happened to find himself in the best possible situation for a running back. You wrote it out. Congratulations. You won those three games early in the season. Great job. But the warning signs are all present now. It is time to push the button and sell while Hunt is still one of the most valuable running backs in fantasy. Don't wait a week to see if his value rebounds. Do not do it. It might feel like a panic sell after one bad game, but it's not. It's just realism. The Kareem Hunt name carries with it huge implied value, but it's fleeting because he's a rookie with only three career games over 20 fantasy points. He has the same number of games above the 20 fantasy point threshold as Carlos Hyde. So trade Kareem Hunt before he's perceived as a lesser Carlos Hyde, because that's possible. He does not have a track record back through the years of RB1 performances to insulate his valuation. Each bad game will sharply reduce his valuation in a way that would never happen to Le'Veon Bell. You've been warned. You should also be rostering Trey McBride. I mean, Trey McBride was the Bears' leading receiver last week, and I see no reason for him not to continue to be the Bears' leading receiver every week. They lost Zach Miller. They've lost Cameron Meredith. They've lost Kevin White. Why not Trey McBride? Trey McBride was not appreciated by the Tennessee Titans, but it seems the Bears do appreciate him. They appreciate a player with a 37.8% 73rd percentile dominator rating, a 70th percentile breakout age, and the best part, his a 1019 82nd percentile catch radius. And you look across the board, whether it's burst or agility, strength, you add it all up, that spark score, 123.7, 92nd percentile spark X score on playerprofiler.com. He's a size-adjusted athletic specimen. One of these Bears receivers is going to step up and be the primary option in the second half. We thought it might be Tanner Gentry based on the snap share. Wrong. That was a red herring. Josh Hermsmeyer explained why. The receiver getting the targets before the bye week was Trey McBride. In one more big game, and, and everyone will be stampeding to get him, particularly in Dynasty Leagues, because he's only 25 years old. And if you own Alvin Kamara in Dynasty Leagues, congratulations. I mean, congratulations if you own Alvin Kamara. I drafted Alvin Kamara in the first round of numerous Dynasty Leagues because of course I did. Because hello, he was drafted by New Orleans. (laughs) 
Yes. I mean, it doesn't have to be hard. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. Whether it's Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara, just throw the prospect profile out and just draft the guys that New Orleans selects. It requires no further thought. But the nice thing about Alvin Kamara is that he fit that Darren Sproles, Reggie Bush, satellite back prototype that fits so nicely hand in glove with Drew Brees. And then what happened last week? Oh, 32 PPR fantasy points for Alvin Kamara. Cha-ching! And it's interesting to compare Alvin Kamara to Christian McCaffrey because I said before the season, don't be surprised when Alvin Kamara outscores Christian McCaffrey this season. And it's like, no, that's impossible. And now where are we? Alvin Kamara is ahead of Christian McCaffrey in PPR leagues by more than two fantasy points per game. (laughs) Because fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. But that doesn't mean that Christian McCaffrey isn't on Alvin Kamara's level. He absolutely is. Christian McCaffrey had 20 fantasy points last week as well. They were both top 10 options in week nine. Kamara and McCaffrey are satellite back pluses. That's the category, my favorite category, the satellite back plus. Electric in space, but also have the durability as primary backs if and when they're called upon. Because look at McCaffrey. You know he could be a primary back if called upon. Look at the Dominator rating. 50.7%, 98th percentile. He had a season at Stanford with more than 300 carries. In a season at Stanford. I mean, what? Yeah, how? I don't know. He's that good. Why is Jonathan Stewart getting carries? I don't know. But both McCaffrey and Kamara were target magnets at the college level. Kamara, 40 receptions in his final year at Tennessee. And as a true sophomore, Christian McCaffrey, 45 receptions. We've talked about this with Juju Smith-Schuster. A player's best college season is more indicative than their final college season. So the Juju Smith-Schuster true sophomore season, which was one of the best true sophomore seasons we've ever seen at the college level, that to me represented a more accurate depiction of Juju Smith-Schuster's true NFL upside than his final season at USC. The same goes for Christian McCaffrey. I look at that 2,000-yard rushing season as a sophomore. He posted over 2,600 total yards that season. (laughs) I mean, how? Crazy! So good! One of the best seasons by a college running back of all time. And as a top 10 pick, McCaffrey's success seemed inevitable in hindsight. But Kamara's breakout, I would argue, was even more obvious. The Saints targeted running backs 140 plus times each year since 2011. And they finished top five in running back receptions each year since Drew Brees arrived in New Orleans. And get this, this is the most mind-blowing stat of all. 400 more RB targets than the next team on the list during Drew Brees' tenure in New Orleans. 400 more RB targets than the next team. Think about that. Mind-blowing. Meanwhile, the Panthers targeted running backs just 36 times in 2016, largely because their satellite back was Fozzie Whitaker. But it is significant that Carolina has been last in the NFL in RB targets since Cam Newton arrived. It's just that Christian McCaffrey's so good that his talent overrides tendencies. This is the analysis I object to so often in fantasy football. 
when the stat geeks outthink themselves. Thinking the tendencies can cancel out the talent, it cannot. Not when you're Christian McCaffrey. Not when you're at that level. Christian McCaffrey now has 72 targets through nine weeks. That's Sprolesian. But Sproles' air in New Orleans has to be Kamara. He's a top 10 back, not McCaffrey. Even though Kamara's opportunity share has been significantly lower than McCaffrey's. The difference is the opportunities are within the New Orleans Saints offensive machine. Kamara is operating as a key cog in one of the NFL's most prolific offenses. And the Saints have the best run-blocking offensive line, according to playerprofiler.com's run-blocking efficiency grade for offensive line units. You don't think of the Saints as having a dominant offensive line, but that's why we have the numbers. That's why the metrics exist. That's why Player Profiler exists. To debunk conventional wisdom and preconceived notions about teams. You think of the Saints, you think weak offensive line, Drew Brees under attack. You think porous defense. The Saints have one of the best fantasy defenses this season, and their offensive line is the best run-blocking unit in the league. Those are the facts. It's also a fact that Christian McCaffrey is last in the NFL in yards per carry, and the Panthers have one of the least effective run-blocking units. I mean, that's the difference. You want to know why Kareem Hunt is fading? Check the offensive line. You want to know why Christian McCaffrey cannot outscore Alvin Kamara this year? Check the offensive line. Alvin Kamara's ADP this season in all formats, Dynasty and Redraft, was criminal. We all should have been more aggressive acquiring Alvin Kamara in hindsight. Because when player efficiency meets team efficiency, you get an efficiency gasm. That's what we're getting with Alvin Kamara. He's number one in the NFL in yards per carry. He's number two in yards per touch. And the offensive line is number one. So on a per-touch basis, it's no surprise that he's crushing expectations. He has a 72.2 production premium. That's number two in the NFL. All hail Alvin Kamara. God, I love the satellite back plus prototype player. Oh, nothing makes me so happy. It's exciting. And it's also time to get excited about Teddy Bridgewater and D.D. Westbrook. But these are dynasty ads. No one should be running out and acquiring D.D. Westbrook or Teddy Bridgewater in redraft. Westbrook slots in as the number three option for the Jacksonville Jaguars' 1950s offensive system. I mean, it's the worst possible quarterback implementing the worst possible offensive philosophy for a wide receiver. So why would you be interested in that wide receiver? I have no idea. But you shouldn't be surprised if D.D. Westbrook emerges as the number two option across from Allen Robinson in 2018. He's that good. He won the Bolitnikoff. Because he's good at football. He runs a 4440, posted a 19.1 yards per reception, and a 38.2% 74th percentile dominator rating. I don't understand how a D.D. Westbrook falls to the fourth round of the NFL draft. I just don't get it. He was prolific, both in terms of raw counting stats and in terms of his percentage of team yards and touchdowns. He was incredibly efficient, and he has blazing speed. And that guy who's comparable to John Brown on playerprofiler.com falls to the fourth round makes no fucking sense. It's just very hard to get enthusiastic about a wide receiver parked behind Allen Robinson on the depth chart, tethered to Blake Bortles on a team that has lasted the NFL in pass attempts. Like, explain that one to me. D.D. Westbrook is a dynasty stash because in a vacuum, he has an incredibly impressive profile, but all of the external forces are working against him. 
He's certainly not a redraft option. Teddy Bridgewater has never been a quality NFL quarterback. He's been better than his peers as a rookie. He was the best rookie quarterback in that class. And then in his sophomore season, his volume, his attempts were throttled back because Norv Turner wanted to run the Adrian Peterson offense. It was an Adrian Peterson-centric offense in 2015. So we have no idea what Teddy Bridgewater can be with volume. A lot of question marks. But he was a precocious and efficient college quarterback. Why do we like Devontae Parker? One of the reasons why is because Devontae Parker was receiving passes, accurate passes, downfield passes from Teddy Bridgewater. That's how Devontae Parker was able to be so efficient at Louisville. He was tethered to Teddy Bridgewater. So now you put a quarterback who has already demonstrated efficiency at both the NFL level and the college level, and you give him arguably the best wide receiver tandem in the NFL in Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, and what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater is going to look better than he's ever looked. That's why he's someone you should be aggressively acquiring in Dynasty. But in his first games back after a horrific knee injury, I'm not in an incredible hurry to go get Teddy Bridgewater in redraft leagues. Now, I already have him in every dynasty league. I stashed him on the IR because I love Teddy Bridgewater. I just think he needs to be unlocked, much the way I thought Russell Wilson needed to be unlocked. It's just that Teddy Bridgewater does not have the rushing capability, so his ceiling is much lower. But there's a similar concept where he just needs to be part of an offense that wants to turn up the dial on the pass attempts, and then all of a sudden, we'll see a 4,000-yard season from Teddy Bridgewater, especially now that he has one of the best wide receiver cores in the NFL. And I had a lot of fun today working on the cornerback rankings. We've received incredibly positive feedback about our cornerback rankings. So go to playerprofiler.com, click on seasonal, and on the far right, you'll see cornerbacks. So every week we update the seasonal cornerback rankings, and then we also show which wide receiver they will likely match up against this week. And we have two rookies in our top six, Marshawn Lattimore and Tredavious White. We also have Richard Sherman, A.J. Boye, Jimmy Smith, and Jalen Ramsey. And the feedback I'm getting is the cornerback rankings are the number one reason new visitors to playerprofiler.com are opting to subscribe. I mean, we've lowered the price all the way down to $20 for the remainder of the season. And I think it's worth it just to get the cornerback rankings for weeks 10 through 16. I mean, I'm excited to see Stefan Diggs back and healthy, but unfortunately he'll be matched up with Josh Norman this week. And there's a cornerback with no brand recognition whatsoever named Rashad Melvin who's now in the top 15, and he'll likely be matched up with Juju Smith-Schuster, which is the reason why I'm opting not to start Juju Smith-Schuster, even though I'm a Juju Smith-Schuster enthusiast. And people ask me, well, what's the mission of playerprofiler.com? And a couple college students that we have writing articles and editing articles for Player Profiler, and I was meeting with them yesterday, and they said something interesting to me. They said, one of the great values that we've found in Player Profiler, using it every day now, is that we have arguments in the residence hall about players, and now I can just pull up Player Profiler, and I can eviscerate my opponent in any argument. And I just had the biggest smile upon hearing that, because that was the reason why we created PlayerProfiler.com, to give you one snapshot of a player, easy access to look up the key information on a player to see the full picture and to help you win arguments in bars with your friends. It's why the site exists. There's nothing else like it. Now that you all have been listening to this show, 
you can pull up any player page and like Neo looking at the matrix, you can see very quickly, okay, this player has a high ceiling. This player's not been playing well. This is this player's potential this season and in the future. And you can conjure up a sports take on a player in less than a minute and have it be more comprehensive than the opinions you hear on ESPN and other mainstream sports media platforms. That's the power of playerprofiler.com. And now the cornerback rankings are taking that ability to the next level. And the college students ask, well, what's the difference between what we're doing and pro football focus? And the difference is that we're just data. These are just analytics, whereas the grades on pro football focus are not analytics. Those are not metrics. Those are subjective judgments by individuals that do not have football resumes. These are not ex-football players, ex-coaches, predominantly grading the players. That's why when you look at the pro football focus cornerback rankings, they diverge significantly from the playerprofiler.com cornerback rankings. And I trust the playerprofiler.com cornerback rankings implicitly because there's less bias there. I mean, just look at the rankings of Richard Sherman and Josh Norman. They're outside the top 15 on Pro Football Focus, and that doesn't make any sense. That simply isn't right. But when you're charting and all you have are the outcomes of plays to go on and your subjective evaluations of those plays, that's going to happen. The cornerbacks that get targeted more frequently and are breaking up passes, their Pro Football Focus grades will necessarily rise. Whereas on playerprofiler.com, we give a premium to the cornerbacks that have a low target rate. The Richard Shermans and the Josh Normans. I mean, they have to be in your top 15. Josh Norman is only allowing 0.12 fantasy points per snap and 5.1 fantasy points per game. How is that guy not in your top 15? It's because he's not being targeted. He's only being targeted 13% of the time. And we have all of these metrics on the cornerback pages. But if you're charting the games and you're grading the players based on the action you're seeing, Josh Norman's not getting the credit because he's not getting the pass breakups. He's number 29 in the league in pass breakups because he's not being targeted. But we award a significant premium to those cornerbacks because quarterbacks are avoiding them. That's the difference. And we are positioning player profiler as a counterbalance to pro football focus. We are. I would admit that. There needs to be an alternative, a less subjective alternative to pro football focus grades. And that's what we offer. And I have conversations every day with fantasy analysts, sports fans. And I've always been curious about this undercurrent of resentment when discussing pro football focus because I appreciate pro football focus. Player profiler is new. We're the new kids on the block. Pro football focus plowed a lot of this ground ahead of us. We are, in many ways, standing on the shoulders of giants. There was nowhere else to find depth of target information before Pro Football Focus. Who doesn't want that resource to exist? It's been a godsend for the fantasy football community as we seek more and more to present data-driven positions and arguments. Pro Football Focus's signature stats were critical now. Mistakes were made. They've admitted to these mistakes overcharging for their signature stats. But I've been unable to pinpoint the source of this smoldering resentment. And then I read a tweet from Mike Clay in reply to Evan Silva. And it all clicked into place. Ah, yes. Talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mike Clay writes that this was an overrated team from day one, which is the larger issue. Made a few splash offseason moves, 
but still had too many weak spots. Now, Evan Silva writes back, I'd throw in almost the entire defense and quarterback getting hurt as factors. And then Mike Clay responds. Remember, he started this exchange by quote tweeting Evan Silva. He writes, definitely a factor in their actual record, but quality teams can lose a few guys and still be competitive as we've seen. The as we've seen is the problem. Just that last drop of pretension at the end of the tweet. I mean, that's what you get from Mike Clay. This is why I'm not shy about criticizing Mike Clay, because this is his modus operandi. The I'm smarter than you disposition is one of the primary drivers behind pro football focuses perception in the industry. It's why the platform is not beloved. It clicked into place for me. Oh, that's why that platform is not beloved. I mean, why are you arguing with Evan Silva in the first place? And then on top of that, who the fuck are you to hit Evan Silva with one of these, as we've seen, which is code for, obviously. Quality teams can lose a few guys and still be competitive, Evan. Obviously. Man, that took me aback. And I am well-versed in the Mike Clay, smartest guy in the room, posturing. Hell, I respect it. Anyone out there who thinks they're the most pretentious fantasy analyst? Sorry, that's my title. I wear that crown. I'm the biggest snob in this industry. No one's more pretentious than me. So when I see Mike Clay hit Evan Silva with a, as we've seen, game knows game. And then not long after reading this tweet, I read another tweet from a pro football focus analyst, and this is when it fully crystallized for me. It reads, can we talk about how bad the QB play is in the league right now? Yeah. And then someone else who just doesn't know anything writes, bad QB play stems from poor coaching and poor scouting. It's a systematic issue, end quote. Might be the wrongest tweet in the history of football Twitter. <laughs> And then the pro football focused analyst whose name I forgot to write down. I'm sure he will make an appearance in a future show based on his performance today. Writes back. A lot of people approach it backwards, in my opinion. They get caught up in tools and lose it for big arms without actual QB talent. <laughs> and here we have two people with no football credentials yammering on social media as if they know anything about evaluating quarterbacks and then beyond that evaluating the quarterback cohort aggregating all quarterback valuations across the league and then comparing those to past quarterback cohorts in order to evaluate the relative quality of league-wide quarterback play. Like, what makes you believe you have this capability? What? How? Who would think that their expertise reaches that level? I mean, maybe like a Daniel Jeremiah, someone who's been a quarterback scout in his past, someone with real actual credentials, not just some fantasy writer with no background as a player or a scout. I mean, no experience with an NFL team. This helps to explain this smoldering resentment of pro football focus. The analysts just can't help themselves from exuding this air of infallibility when they are anything but infallible. Because when you zoom out and you look at it rationally, that analysis is the absolute heights of gas-bagging wrongness. First of all, it's speaking in concrete terms about an entity that is impossible to evaluate. 
with any kind of accuracy, right? Because in order to compare the NFL's current quarterbacks to past quarterbacks, you must also compare the ability of the defenses they're facing to past defenses, the quality of the offensive line play to past offensive linemen, and the talent of the skill position supporting cast members to past skill position players back through time. <laughs> Good luck! It's hard enough to evaluate players in individual sports across eras. We're talking about the most interconnected sport. One out of 11 men on the field on the offensive side. One out of 22 total on the field of play at any given moment. And yet, someone wearing a pro football focus badge on their shirt seems predisposed to thunder in with an opinion. Oh yes, oh yes. The quarterbacks in today's NFL are not as competent as the quarterbacks were 20 years ago. And give me Dan Fouts over Carson Wentz any day. Really? I, mean, I don't know. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. Is Dan Fouts better than Carson Wentz or even Kirk Cousins? I don't know. It's not my area, right? Quarterback is the most challenging position in all of sports to evaluate. But for some, seems easy enough, I guess. <laughs> I mean, but I know one thing definitively. QB success is not quote-unquote scheme-driven. It's talent and supporting cast-driven. And I'm always on the lookout for the accusations lobbed at, quote, a lot of people, end quote. Those tweets are always a gem. A lot of people approach it backwards, right? <laughs> and who are these people? These people don't exist. It's a straw man erected by some self-proclaimed QB savant to make himself look smart on social media. And that right there... That's how fantasy football analysts lose credibility in football circles. Straddling lanes, yes. I think fantasy analysts, many of them at Pro Football Focus, are some of the best in the business. Scott Barrett, Pat Thorman, they are one of the reasons why I appreciate Pro Football Focus so much. Their data is beyond compare, and analysts like Barrett and Thorman are some of the best in the industry. But it's this pervasive assumption of infallibility which then leads someone to expanding the scope of their expertise. The next thing you know, they're talking 100% out of their own asshole on social media. Talking as if quarterback evaluation is just, it's just straightforward. But a lot of people approach it backwards. Yeah, yeah. Like who? Like Super Bowl champion quarterback? An executive of the year, John Elway, who drafted Paxton Lynch, who gave Brock Osweiler $72 million, $37 million of it guaranteed, even though he can't play. 